want to, that's fine. Just stay where you are. And uh, for those of you who want to, you can take it on your own. Or if you prefer, I'll take it with you. And uh, I'll just take a minute to step over to the podium. Praise God. Oh, you got one. Well, you have a double portion, brother. <laughs> He's been covered. Double portion. You know, if, uh, if, you, if you've already taken communion, that's fine. It's such a personal thing between you and God, you know, and you really can take it any time with any meal that you have. Jesus said, do it to remember me. Do it to remember what he did. And examine your heart before him when you do. Go ahead and take the bread if you haven't taken it yet and hold it up before the Lord. Father, we hold this up to you. We do this to remember, Jesus. I thank you for what you did on the cross. You called us to, com to change our life completely because it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You called me, just like everybody here, to change their heart completely and change the way they live so that it honors you more and more each day. I'm not perfect. I can't change myself immediately. But day by day, you tell me, step here. Gently. As a father instructs his child, as a true father instructs his child. I thank you for what you did on the cross. And in Jesus' name I pray. You can go ahead and take the bread. You don't hold, hold the cup up. Father, we hold this cup up to remember the blood that was shed on the cross. That you for decided, you decided before the foundations of the earth were laid, it was to be this way. And Jesus said, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, your will be done. And so I thank you because without the blood of Jesus, I would be lost. And so I thank you so much. And though I cannot repay it, I will live to honor it. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can take the cup. Praise God.
different uh, avenues you can find God in and meet God in, times of worship and singing, prayer, and times to uh, listen to the word. Thank you. Thank you. Turn with me over to John chapter 16, if you got your Bible. If I see you on your phone, I'll just assume you got your Bible on your phone. I have that. I told you about one of my teachers who said, uh, you know, you on your phones, you ought to be ashamed of yourselves when you're not paying attention to the, to the word. And uh, I, <laughs> I forgot my notebook the, the, the next Sunday at church. And so pastor was talking and I was taking down notes and, on my phone. And she's sitting right behind me. And I'm like, I'm, I'm on, I've got my Bible on my phone and I'm on my, I'm taking notes. You see, I'm not playing Angry Birds or anything like that. So, okay, John 16. I've been kind of rummaging around through this chapter most of the week. It's kind of been, uh, it's like I just couldn't get it off my heart. I'm kind of moving around through the verses, and I was reading, and um, didn't always start in the same place, and didn't always end at the same place. But Jesus is saying some things here to the disciples right before he's about to go to the cross, and uh I mentioned before, you know, when, when a person realizes that they're about to, to die, in Jesus' case, he knows he's going to rise from the dead again, but he knows he's no longer going to ha- be with them, walking with them physically. He said, I'm with you to the end of the age, but he's talking about in spirit, he's with us. And so he, he knew, I'm not going to be with them much longer, and so he's telling them some things that they're going to have to know when he's no longer walking with them. We talked about that in the past, but... Look down here at at, uh, verse 16. We're in chapter 16, but also verse 16. Jesus says, A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. They said, therefore... What is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he is saying. We don't understand what he's talking about. Verse 19, now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, but for some reason they're afraid to ask him. They're just, they're trying to, they're asking each other what he means. It's like, good luck with that. What does he mean? I don't know. What do you think he means? So they're afraid to ask him. And he says, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, talking about when he goes to the cross, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about when he rises from the dead. They're going to be sad when he is crucified and buried but they're going to rejoice when he rises again. So he's letting them know ahead of time, this isn't going to be forever. Okay, but but what I'm I'm getting at here is that Jesus is telling them something they do not want to hear. In your walk with God, has he ever told you something you didn't want to hear? That's a good thing. It may not seem like it, but it's a good thing. 
Because that means you're in communication with God. That's a good thing. But do not stop communicating with him just because you don't like what he's telling you. And I'm speaking from personal experience. Because when God first told me to go to Ramah, I wasn't praying about going to Bible college. I was asking him about a career change. You got, most of you know the story. Like, okay, dad's retiring. Lord, do I take the family business? Do I go to a, a, a trade school? What do I do? What's, what's my career path? I wouldn't even considering college because I don't like college. But I'm like, what's, what's, the, what's the, the goal, Father? And uh, he only spoke one word, Rama, which is the Bible college I went to in Tulsa. And I'm like, don't like that. I didn't ask about school, you know. So it's like, I don't like that. So for about six months, I argued with him about it. And by that, I mean, I didn't say I'm not going. I just stopped praying. Because every time I pray, in the middle of my prayer, he, he, he would interrupt me. And he would say, Rama. He would say it exactly like that. Like, I don't want to do that. And so uh, when we finally, long story short, we finally said, okay, I'll, 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 I'll do that, God. If that's really what you want me to do, I'll do that. And then, of course, he stopped saying that when I would pray. And so it was kind of like, okay, now I can, I can breathe easy again when I, get, when I go to pray, with, pray to him, talk to him. And, uh, but... I, I, it strained, I knew it was going to strain other relationships because people were going to say, why are you moving 1,400 miles away? And uh, when I broke the news to my friends, I have a really close group of friends, and when I broke the news to them, they were shocked, and, and uh, they didn't really say a whole lot. And I said, you know, I said, I know that God is telling me to do this because I don't want to do it. And my friend Josh said, Wait, what? He said, he said, because he's thinking that, you know, if God tells you to do something, then obviously you will be like, yeah, I'm glad to do it. No, I don't want to do it. And so I told him, I said, to me, it means that it's God's will because I don't want to go. And every time I pray about it, he tells me to go. It's like, I know it's not for me. <laughs> I know that's not my own desire. But there was a draw and a pull and a, do this. So Jesus is telling them something they don't want to hear. But Jesus would not be telling them this if it were not good for them to hear. God's plans are always for your good. It may not seem like that. And it's easy to get lost, kind of kind of lost in the circumstances and the things that people say and the things we see going on and and uh, traditions that have been passed down that were wrong. But if you actually get into the word, God says, my plans are always for your good. And during the journey, there's hardships because Jesus said that you will have trouble in the world. That's why he said, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. But the point is, is that we're still in the world and we have troubles in the world while we're here. And so sometimes we think, man, God must really have it out for me. At least a lot of people think that way. But according to what God said about it, it's not true. His plans are always for our good, ultimately. Now, if you don't have it in your heart or settled in your heart that everything God does for you is ultimately for your good, you will have trouble receiving things you need from him. If you're taking notes, you should write that down. If you don't have it in your heart, 
that everything God does for you is ultimately for your good, you will have trouble receiving things you need from him. Doesn't mean you won't make it out on the other side, but you might be a little worse for the wear. So you need that belief planted in your heart. I believe you need it. And you need to water that belief all the time. What do I mean by that? Well, we'll get there. And there will be times God will tell you things you do not want to hear. If that hasn't happened yet, get ready. Just like if you haven't been in a a place of prayer or worship where God overwhelms you and you find yourself in tears or on the floor, get ready. Because if you keep seeking him, eventually you'll get there. And uh, when it comes to this where we say, well, you know, God sometimes tells you things you don't want to hear, it's to prepare you. Um, But then at the same time, why do we think that we should always hear things that we like anyway? For the sake of bodily health, we know we should eat certain things we don't like. Right? What was the last superfood that, that they were pushed kale or something like that? Actually, I have a recipe that uses a tiny bit just so that I can say, yeah, we're, we're eating healthy. And I was at the store, and, I'm, and there was a lady kind of in the way, and she was standing in front of it. And I said, excuse me, ma'am, are you after that kale? And she said, no. <laughs> she said, you can have all the kale you want. The lady behind her is like, <laughs> I'm like, whatever. Get my kale and get out of here. But see, is everything that we, we like... To eat healthy? And yet we go to church and they talk about a subject we think is boring or we don't like and we say, I'm not getting fed in this church. No, you're getting fed, you just don't like what they're feeding you. Now, not every church teaches the word. I'm not talking about that. Because if a church teaches the word, you're being fed. Because there are churches that don't teach the word and, and you know, I've told you many times, you've got to be in here to know the difference, so that when you go to a place and they're not teaching the word, you know, okay, maybe I ought to backpedal out of here, and I expect you all to pay attention to what I'm teaching and make sure it's in the word, too. I want you to look it up for yourselves, and so I'm not talking about churches that don't teach the word. In a church where the word is being taught, where this takes the foreground The Bible says, this says, that all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. And if you want to look that up, that's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, where it said that. So if we're in a place where we think we're not getting fed, the first thing we ought to do is look to see if the Word is being taught. If we find that the word is being taught, and we still don't like it, we ought to ask ourselves if it's just a subject we don't like to hear. Because if that's the case, then we're in good company. (laughs) Because the disciples were hearing something they didn't like to hear from Jesus himself. Now, if Jesus is willing to tell people things that they don't like to hear, that means then that the people he calls to ministry... He will tell them to say things that people don't like to hear. Right? A student's not greater than his teacher, but a student that is perfectly trained will be 
like his teacher. So the more the more and more ministers look like Jesus, the more they're going to be yielded to say the things that he wants them to say. And that includes telling people things they don't like. Now, I went through a time in church where I had to learn to get over myself because we were, we were at a church where the pastor taught the same, on the same subject for weeks. Actually, I think probably a couple months he taught on the same subject. And I was so sick of hearing it. I'm so sick of hearing this. And he even had, he had printed out these little things and he handed them out to certain people and they were to read that out loud. It was just a little Bible verse, you know, a Bible verse to, to read out loud so everybody could hear it. And I thought, okay, well, that's kind of cool. Okay, he's going to have us rotate these. He never had us rotate it. I had the same piece of paper and I read the same piece of paper every week. And I'm like, I am so sick of this. Why are we doing this? Did God specifically tell him to do that for that season? I don't know. That's between him and God. But I'll tell you one thing. It was the word. (laughs) And God honors his word, and his word is truth. So whether or not that pastor heard God tell him to teach that or not, I could and should have gotten something out of it. And I actually did. Like I said, I had to get over myself. And so... That doesn't mean that a person can't suggest a certain subject and say, hey, I would love to know more about this. Can we talk about that? I mean, they can do that, sure. It just simply means that I am to have a humble attitude when it comes to receiving instruction. If I no longer have a teachable heart, there's a problem. Because now I've gotten over into pride. And so again, when it comes to church, why do we sink into this thinking that if we don't like what we're hearing, then something must be wrong. Something must be wrong. Must it? Really? Does does there have to be something wrong? Just if I'm not happy, does that mean that there has to be something wrong? Why do we do that? Well, partially, I think that it's because, logically, in every other part of our lives, we admit that things we don't like are just a part of it. And it's just things that we have to do. You know, we, we wake up at a time we don't like in order to get to work. We, we have to study a book that we don't like uh, in order to pass a course. We have to mow the grass, otherwise, you know, we got we to gotta paint the house, otherwise, we got to, you know, do things we don't like, otherwise. And I think that when we perceive that we should go to church, because a lot of people, if you ask them, I mean, a lot of people who are not in church, and you say, should you be in church? They probably say, yeah, I probably should. Just like, it, you know, you ask a Christian, should you pray more? Yes. Well, how, do you think that you pray enough? No. Well, how do you really know? You know, just talk to God. Just talk to him. But my point is, is that that I believe is, is one of the reasons why we think that something must be wrong if we don't like every little thing about where we attend. Because it's like uh, we tend to think that everything that happens there should be something we like. And, well, now why is that? I think it's, it's uh, because, and many people who don't attend at all, I think it's because they see church as something that's not necessary. It's extracurricular. It's extracurricular. It's overtime. It's not something they like, and it's not something that they have to do, so they don't do it. 
And yes, it's possible to be saved and not go to church. I'm not talking about that. But the word said not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together. And so God cannot bless that behavior. He cannot bless the forsaking, the I'm not going to go. For whatever reason, a lot of people get hurt in church. And so they're like, I ain't going back. But I learned a long time ago not to blame God for something that people have done to me because I've been hurt in church. It's filled with a place with imperfect people. And so, you know, God cannot bless that part of my life if I am not participating in what he has said to participate in. But besides that, the word says that God desires that all should be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And I used to think that come to the knowledge of the truth simply meant to understand that I needed Jesus and I needed to accept him as my Lord. But over time, I learned it actually means to come more and more to the knowledge of the truth. Because Jesus is the truth. He said so. I I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the standard by which all truth is measured. And if it doesn't stand the test, then it can't, can't get to the other side of him because... He's truth. So he's the, he's the filter <laughs> that decides what is truth and what is not. <clears throat> well, why am I saying all this? It's because I want us all to stop thinking like the world thinks about these things. That might take some time. Because if we think like the world, we will act like the world. But the word said that God has called us out of that. We're to be set apart to what he wants us to be. And see, when he tells us things, as he is molding us and shaping us more and more into the image of Jesus, then not everything that he has to say is something that we're going to want to hear. And there are some things that we don't want to hear that will grow us, that will grow you. No Bible subject is outdated. Not, not every Bible subject is exciting, but all Scripture is useful for instruction and reproof. That being said, as a pastor, I promise to do my best to be interesting. I promise. I will do my best, but I told you before, if God tells me to preach a boring sermon, I'll do it. My brother told me about a time he preached uh, the same, same sermon, not just the same subject. Same sermon for three weeks in a row. He was a children's pastor, and he's, so he's preaching it to kids. Same. Why? Because God told him to. And he said at the at about the end of the last, the third time, he said some lady sitting way in the back because it was probably one of the parents or one of the leaders or something. All of a sudden, she said, "Okay." And the Holy Spirit spoke to his heart and said, "Okay, you don't have to preach it anymore." Because it was about her and her unwillingness to do whatever it was God was saying in that message. God's not afraid to say, okay, you need to hear it again? I'll tell you again. Because every time I would pray, God wouldn't say anything except rhema. Why? Because he's not going to give me anything else until I'm faithful to the first thing he gave me to do. That's important to know. Okay, (laughs) I lost my place here. 
So when you when each of us comes to church or, or to hear a message or a conference or anything, I mean, you could be walking in the marketplace and there's a street pe- preacher preaching. You know, any time that you hear the word being taught or preached, you, you should either say, okay, I'm going to have either a belief planted in me or I'm going to have a belief watered. Now you understand why you, you shouldn't dismiss subjects and teachings that you don't like. We understand that now. We've just, we just talked about it. But I wouldn't be helping if I didn't give you tools to help you with this because <laughs> I don't want to just say, hey, I don't care if it's not interesting. You just figure out a way. No, I'm going to tell you some things from my personal experience that help me. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians to understand what the purpose of God's word being preached is. What is the purpose of teaching God's word? And really, you can only find two reasons. See, God keeps things simple. There's two reasons that the word of God is preached. So chapter 3, look down at verse 6. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. He said, I planted... Actually, first, let me start in... Let's go ahead and start in verse 5, Bill, if that's okay. If you could pull up verse 5. Sure. So Paul, you know, is uh, the writer of a lot of the New Testament, and then Apollos was also a teacher at that time. Okay, Okay, so he says, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers, or servants, through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. But there's something key here. He said, I planted, Apollos watered. And he's talking about, through us you believed because of the word we brought you. And so the word that I brought, planted, The word that Apollos brought, watered. What's the difference? When you hear a Bible truth for the first time, that is the moment it has been planted in your heart. Just the same as you plant a seed in the soil. If you hear the same Bible truth again later, it is being watered. Leave a bookmark here if you got one. Hopefully I can get my bookmark out. There we go. And turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Parable of the sower. I think I see something different in this every time I read it. Mark 4. This is Jesus talking. Look at verse 2. It says, Then he, Jesus, taught them many things by parables. Yeah, verse 2. Mark 4, verse 2. He taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, or you could say a planter went out to plant. Verse 4, And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. 
But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. So understand here that God's not trying to withhold, but what he does is he wants everything, he conceals things for the purpose of people seeking him out because he wants people to seek him. He wants people to come after him, and once they do that, he's like, here, I'll, show, I'll tell you, because he told them, the only, this wasn't just the 12 disciples, it says those around him with the 12. He had other people with him besides the 12 disciples. And so he said, anyone who is hanging out with me, who has come here, to you, I'll, I'll just tell you what it means. But to those who are on the outside, not because he's putting them outside, but because they keep themselves on the outside by not drawing near. You understand? God's willing to give understanding and knowledge and instruction to anybody, but they have to show an interest. They have to make the effort to come. Okay, that's all he means by that. Verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? God expects us to seek out the meeting and develop tools and understanding of how to seek, to seek out the meeting. Okay? In verse 14, he said, The sower sows the word. So he's telling them, you want to know what the seed is in the parable? It's this. It's my word. That is the seed. That's the seed that's being scattered or broadcast, if you will. And so the word is planted because it's like a seed. It's like a seed in the respect that it is planted. It is a thing that is planted. Where is it planted? In a person's heart. Verse 15. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their what? Hearts. Even though they didn't understand it, where was it sown? In their heart. (laughs) So whether or not they hear that word, acknowledge that word, respect that word, or understand that word, it is planted in their heart. The moment they hear it, that's where it goes. That's what Jesus said. This is why no one has any excuse for not accepting Jesus. Because somewhere, somehow, God will get the message to them at least once. Why? Because he wants all of mankind to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what he wants. He wants to save people. He doesn't want people to go to hell. How does he get that word to such a, you know, like, okay, say there's some remote tribe out in the middle of nowhere. How does he get that word there? Just because I can't understand it in my mind doesn't mean that it's not possible. Because with God, all things are possible. Okay? And I can really, I can give a much longer answer. Because there is one, but that's a whole other message in and of itself, so I'm not going to get into that. All I'll say for now is God's timing is God's timing. He can do all things, and it is his desire that all mankind be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And he's fair. If he's not, if he's not fair, then he's not qualified to judge anything. He's fair. But whenever someone hears that word, it is planted in their heart at that very instant. Regardless of what they 
do with it? Because he plants it, and the parable, he tells them what to do with it. He's like, don't be like this kind of soil, this kind of soil, or this kind of soil. I want you to be like this kind of soil. Okay? Look what Jesus said in verse 24. Look down to verse 24. This is what he, and he's going to explain a little bit more about what he expects us to do with it once it's planted. Verse 24 says, Then he said to them, Take heed what you hear. Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Not by God. He said, Satan comes and takes the word that was sown in the hearts of those who don't understand, who won't take the time to understand it. That's what he's talking about. He's like, seek to understand it. Put effort into understanding it, and then you'll get it back. All right, now, uh, Satan has no right to do that, by the way, but it gives him opportunity. If I didn't understand the word when I heard it, and then I didn't take the time to understand it, that gives Satan the opportunity to come and take it away from my heart. That's why Jesus said, take heed what you hear. He's trying to tell us. He's trying to, he's trying to get across to us. This is what I want you to do. He's like, once it's planted in your heart, do something with it. Take heed. Do something with it. So I'm going to read this verse again, that verse 24 again in the Amplified Classic, because it, it, it kind of expounds on that. And he said to them, be careful what you are hearing. Be careful. Or you could say, be careful of what you're... Once you have it, be careful with it. In other words, take care. It's not like take care of it because it's a dangerous thing. Like it's, but it's like, uh, be, care, be, be mindful what you do with it. Take care with it because it's precious. Okay? So he said, take... Uh, be careful what you are hearing. The measure of thought... And study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you. And more besides will be given to you who hear. So he's saying there's some extra that comes with it. Okay? Why? Because God is the giver. And he's a liberal giver. He, I mean, he, you can't outgive him. Most people just fail to ask. Or ask with right motives. <laughs> so when you hear the word, take time to think about it. Say it out loud back to yourself. Talk to God about it. Write it down. Meditate on it. Bible meditation literally means to mutter about it to yourself, to sing, to pray. It's what, if you look up, when the word Bible says meditate, if you look up what that means, it means to mutter, to pray, to sing to yourself and God. It doesn't mean to, you know, sit cross-legged and empty your mind. That's not what it means. 
It means put some, th- some thought into it, study it, and think about it, and talk to God about it. That's what it means. Make it a part of the relationship you got with him. And, you know, it's not easy to do that with a word that you didn't like to hear in the first place. Right? I didn't like to hear that. And I was supposed to think about it and accept it and ponder it and mull over it and pray about it and sing about it and thank God for it. Uh Uh-huh. That's what Jesus said to do. That's why I titled this, When It's Difficult to Hear. Because it's not always easy to hear what God has to say. Because I know that even though God has a lot of things to say that I like to hear, he also has a lot of things to say that I don't like to hear. But those things are just as important as the things I do like to hear. If you're taking notes, write down this sentence. What to do with the word when I hear it. What to do with the word when I hear it. And if you don't have a Anything to write on, you can get something, or you want to commit it to memory, that's fine too. Some people learn easier to write it down. But Jesus wants us to know this. Number one, under that, under that sentence, number one, take time to understand it. <laughs> take time to understand it. That's number one. I'm just going to give you two points today. Take time. To understand it. <clears throat> because the ones, Jesus said, the ones who are sown by the wayside, you think about the qualities of the footpath, is that it's such hard dirt that the seed can't get in there. So that is ground that is unreceptive or cannot receive or does not receive the, the seed that is thrown onto it. It's too hard. It, can't, it won't receive. That's people who have a hard heart. And a hard heart doesn't always look mean. It's just not interested. Don't care. Or, thank you, I'll log that away. But if they log it away and they don't take time to understand it, what's going to happen? The enemy is going to have an opportunity to come and snatch that seed away that's been sown in their heart. So you, if you, so you, take, you, you, you take the time to understand the word. Now, you're on the right track. But I have to tell you, that's not enough. Look at verse 16 again, down there. This Jesus is talking about it. He says, these likewise are ones sown on stony ground. That's the second type of soil. Who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. They get saved. It's not just the word of salvation, but that's where it starts. The first seed sown is, learn that you need Jesus as your Savior, accept him. As Lord and Savior, believe in your heart God's raised him from the dead, and that is the first seed. Every seed after that is still a seed. Everything that you learn here is still a seed. So, these ones receive it with gladness. They get saved. Verse 16, and they have no, or 17, and they have no root in themselves. And so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. You've seen people who accept Jesus, and they're like, I'm going to live for Jesus. And then two weeks go by, three weeks go by, suddenly they're, who knows where they are? They're gone. You don't see them anymore. We've all seen that, yeah? 
That's this. And Jesus said it would happen beforehand. Did he not? Doesn't mean we don't love him. Doesn't mean we don't call him and say, hey, where are you? Are you okay? And so these are people who heard the word and they understood it. If they hadn't understood it, they wouldn't have been able to receive it with gladness and, and continue because it said they endure for a time. They endured for a time. God was pleased with the progress at first, yeah? God's pleased if you endure. And so they have no root, which means they didn't water the word that they received. I planted Apollos watered what do we do with the word when we hear it under that number one write down a number two and next to that number two I want you to write water it or you could write strengthen it or you could write defend it protect that belief protect it defend it water it Without a strong root system, a plant withers and dies. Or, it, 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 like, this, like it said here, it, it, it sprung up immediately. It's like, wow, it looks great at first. But when there's a trial or tribulation that comes up because of that word, it, it, it dies, withers and dies. <clears throat> I believe, okay, this is here, I'm going to give you an example now. I believe something about healing. God's healed me of many things. I believe something about healing. But if I don't take the time to defend that belief by watering it, strengthening it continually, if I don't keep doing that, it will not be strong enough to survive the day of trial. Okay? Because what if I'm praying for the healing of somebody and they die? I may abandon that belief I had in healing. Now, that doesn't mean that I've lost my salvation. I still believe Jesus is my Lord. But that belief about healing is dead. Or you could say, I've abandoned it. I've walked away from it. The fancy word is apostatize. Walk away from it. And so, yeah, I still believe in Jesus. But I'll tell you, there will be loss if I don't take time to water that belief that's planted in my heart. Because a trial will arise because of it. It's inevitable. Jesus said so. The trial, tribulations and trials or persecution arises for the word's sake. Whenever the word is planted in your heart, eventually there's going to be a trial, there's going to be a tribulation, there's going to be a persecution. It's just the way it is. I had, uh, you know, heard Brother Hagen tell a story. <laughs> he was, uh, you know, founded Rhema, the Bible college I'm from. And uh, he told a story about uh, this guy comes up to him after some meetings he had taught. And he just was teaching uh, just the things that Jesus said. And the guy says, that word doesn't work. He said, that's a lie. And Brother Higgins said, really? He said, yeah, the word you spoke. And he said, what word was that? And he said that, that uh, whatever things you believe when you pray, believe that you'll receive them and you'll have them. He said, well, Jesus said that, not me. Jesus said that. He said that. He said that word. And the guy's like, okay, well, it's, it's, it's not true. And he said, okay, well, tell me what happened. He said, well, I was praying for Uncle Charlie. He was on his deathbed. I was praying for Uncle Charlie, and I believed that God was going to heal him, and he, and, and he died. 
And Brother Hagin said, well, what was Uncle Charlie believing for? He said, well, Uncle Charlie was saying that he wanted to, to die and go home to be with Jesus. He said, praise God, Uncle Charlie got just what he prayed for, didn't he? He said, the guy said, I see, yeah, I see it now. I, I see it, I see it. Yeah, I understand now. You can't override another person's will with your prayer. Because God, God doesn't override people's free will. So why should we be able to? And what are they believing for? And what are they confessing out of their mouth? So you can see, you can't override a person's will with your prayer. That's why Jesus said, wherever two or more agree concerning anything, it'll be done by my Father in heaven. So if you can get people to agree with what you're believing for, now you're getting somewhere, but you can't make them. See, that's why, and, and, and that's, that's why after we're saved, we come continually to the knowledge of the truth because when we're first saved, we don't know right away all that God wants us to know and understand and apply. It could be that, well, it's not that that word wasn't true. It's that I didn't understand some qualifications that accompany that word. And so I need to be constantly watering those beliefs and learn more about them, gain more understanding. Notice that Jesus said in verse 25, to you who hear, more will be given because you are, to, you are to come to the knowledge of the truth continually. Flip back over to that bookmark in 1 Corinthians. Make sure I got the right spot here. How are y'all doing with this? You okay? If you need to get up and stretch your legs, you can do that. I won't, I won't throw rocks at you. Okay, look down at verse 6. He says again, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. God who gives the increase. So I may plant or I may water, but I can't give the increase. God gives the increase. And God gives the increase in response to how much thought and study you put into the word that you hear. That's what Jesus said. I hear the word, I water the word, I put in the time, I put in the effort, and God, in response to that, he makes sure that the increase of that comes back into my life with more besides. Jesus said, and he'll give you extra, too. He'll give you more besides. And I've personally experienced that, where it's like, God, I asked, I asked to understand this thing, but you went further and you gave me even more understanding than I asked for when I was seeking it out. Because it's while you're seeking it out. It's while you're thinking about it. Someone will say something. You'll see something. Something will happen. It's like, oh. That goes along with what I was thinking about, praying about, that word. That word. Why does God do that? It's because he wants to be a part of the process. Because it's, it's been relational. It's always been relational. Jesus is like, he said, I, I go to prepare a place for you so that you can be with me where I am. I want you with me. All the time. It's what he desires. And I will not... Uh, there's been times when it's like, where are you, God? 
but I'm not going to make him out to be a liar when I don't feel his presence. I have to believe. Lots of times it feels dry. It feels like, where are you, God? But he said he's there. I have to believe him. So I talk to him whether I feel like he's there or not. I talk to him all the time. Make comments to him. You know, oh, that was a really long red light, Lord. Not complaining, just pointing it out. Just, just talking to him. You know? This is why, you know, in this idea of putting time and effort, this is why, uh, it, and actually, really, the idea that God gives us more besides, he gives you more extra besides, because that's why I pray that prayer a lot. You'll hear me pray that prayer sometimes that you find in Ephesians where it said, Lord, please give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. That's a biblical prayer that you can pray for yourself. You can ask him, Lord, give me a spirit of wisdom. Why is it a spirit of wisdom? Because I must acknowledge that God is the one who gives the increase. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. That's why you have the extra. Because the Holy Spirit has a ministry, he has a service that he does in your life where he gives you more understanding and more knowledge and he reminds you of the things that Jesus said to you and he also tells you things that are going to come. Shows you things to come. Because God has a stake in this. He has an investment in you. He has invested in you. Because he believes you're a good investment. See, once I started asking him continually to help me that way, it's not just a one-time prayer. I ask him all the time, Lord, I need that spirit of wisdom and revelation. Holy Spirit, I need your help. Help me. Once I started praying that way, watering the word became much less burdensome, especially with a word I didn't like to hear. God wants us to highly value whatever word he speaks to us through here or through something someone may say with the word. Whether it's something we like to hear or not, he wants us to place enough value on it. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 4, it says, My son, pay attention to my words. Keep them in the midst of your heart. If you're keeping it, that means that it's already planted, right? Because you, you can't keep something you don't have. So pay attention to my words. Keep them in the midst of your heart. You ca- take care of them. Be the caretaker of this word that I have planted in your heart. It also says, do not let them depart from your eyes. That means, read it. Read it to water it. Read it to water it. You know, I, I, I heard a, uh, something one time on the radio, actually, where there's not, they were saying, you know, the word doesn't talk a whole lot. It does talk about studying the word. It does talk about that. But more than studying it, the word says, delight in God's word. Delight in it. And so I, I have to, uh, it's like uh, 
those words that we don't like to hear in here, it's like, uh, it's like coffee. It's like an acquired taste. It's like I have to, I have to learn to delight in this. I have to develop a taste for this. Because the word said, taste and see, the Lord is good. And so, yeah, read it to water it. Uh, I was, uh, while we were at Ramah and I was in classes, I had a certain class that was a guy that sat on my left. He was supposed to sit on my left. He was hardly ever at his chair. And it's like, okay, I understand there's different personalities but sometimes you come across a personality that just rubs you the wrong way. It's like, trying really hard to like this guy, God, but he's always gone. Why can't you just sit in your seat? I don't like to sit in this assigned seat. I'm too far away, but this is what they assigned me, so I'm here. And anyway, but there were times that, that uh, he and I had some good talks, but <laughs> there was one time when I'm writing notes, and he never had any notes out or anything, and that's, I don't, I don't get upset with people for not taking notes, but... I take notes. I ha- and, and by the way, I don't like to take notes. I'm not a school person. But I learned that I have to take notes, otherwise I can't pay attention. So I take notes. And if you look at my notes, you'll say, what in the world is this? Did you, did you ever take any kind of note-taking? No, I didn't. I just take notes. I, I don't know. I just write it down. It, it's not organized at all. It's like stuff written in the margins and arrows pointing to things. And Tammy's like, what? Who taught you how to take notes? I'm like, Me? But I take notes. And so I'm taking notes, you know. And uh, he said, you're always taking notes. I said, yeah. I said, I take notes even if I already know what they're saying. And he's like, why? Well, because when it's difficult to hear, you know, I can, I can water that by writing it down. I can could, I could, I could write it down. And while I'm writing it down, I see it. Actually, I heard a, a and, I, and you can't, someone told me one time, just told me, you know, when you write something down, you learn it. And I'm like, huh. And that just kind of rang true, like, yeah, okay. How well you learn it is another question. But so I write it down. The other reason is, is because I've gone back and, and looked in some of my notes, and there were days I didn't take notes. And I'm like, I have no idea what they talked about that day. It's like, I might as well not have gone, you know. That's probably not true, but you know what I mean. I want to have something to show for the day that I went. And so, when it's difficult to hear, take time to understand the word, and then take time to water the word. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Lord, I thank you for all these... uh, wonderful people who took the time to be here and take the time to be here. And even though I may talk a little longer than I mean to, I, I thank you so much for them. I ask that you bless them as they go. I ask you help them to uh, give them, a, give them a, 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 a down payment, if you will, a foretaste on uh, something from the word that registers on their heart. That they say, wow. That is true. I ask, Lord, that you'd help us to commit that. Help us to commit that to our our memory. Help us to hold on to it and defend it and water it and value the word that you gave to us, that you spoke to us. I pray, Lord, for uh, divine appointments going out as people leave this place, that you provide opportunity for them to use the gifts that you have put into them. And I just thank you so much for each and every one of them. And I bless them in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Father, and in Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen. Okay, everybody. You're dismissed, and happy 4th of July. <laughs>